And I want to invite uh, Brad Henson to come. Uh, we've got several things this morning. Maybe a little bit late, so I apologize today. But I want Brad to kind of share what's going on in our hiring process and our replacement of Lori McMath and the children's ministry. Thanks, Steve. Uh, I want to give you a little bit of a background of, of, of kind of the, of the criteria and the process that we've used over the past several months to select the next um, director of the Vintage Village. Um, our guidelines, when Steve and I sat down and talked about it, it came back to four C's. And the four C's were competency. You know, it, does the person that we're looking at, do they have the experience in the area of discipling children and also discipling those folks that are leading our children? The second C is character. Are they reliable? Are they dedicated? Uh, are they walking with the Lord? And are they a good role model for our children and our, village, and our vintage classroom leaders? The third C is calling. Is this person called to be here because this is a ministry that they're, that they're drawn to, or is this just another job? Um, this is so critical to our church that this has got to be somebody that's called and has a real passion for the children and bringing them up in a godly way. And then the last thing is chemistry. Does the person that we're bringing in, do they fit? Do they fit the DNA of Vintage? Do they, do they, can they work well with our staff? Do they, will they be really a part of our family? So we got the guidelines and then we started working the process. The first thing we did is we picked three other people to, to join me in, in this process. And they had either experience in the village or they have children in the village. I was very, very lucky to have uh, Sheila Fortier, um, Kelly Davis, and Elizabeth Kosick, Elizabeth Kosick come along beside me and, and help me through the process early on going through the resumes that we received. Uh, we sat down, we had 10 resumes, and we were, we were taken away. I mean, there was so much talent, such a diverse group. It was really, really difficult for us to go through and get that 10 down to five that we wanted to interview. Uh, once we got it down to five, we brought those folks in. Um, we had a lot of discussion. We got that five down to three that we brought to Steve to have a discussion with. At that point, we sat down with Steve. We got, the, the five, we got those three down to two. And at that point, Steve had some more discussions with him. Um, he met with the candidates and had them take strength finders. If you know what strength finders is, basically it's to find out, you know, if, if their strengths match the position that they're being called into. Um, after a lot of prayer discussion after that round, we got it down to a finalist, and our finalist is a lady named Gerilyn Winther. Now, Gerilyn's not a part of our body, but we're very excited that she's being called to be with us. Hayden, I think there's a picture of her and her family. Um, so to confirm before we made the offer um, that she was the right choice, choice uh, we had Gerilyn come in and meet with the staff, go to a couple of staff meetings. Um, she met privately with Steve to, to get a little further into what her um, faith is, what her walk is, uh, explore her story. Um, she met with the room leaders from the Vintage Village to, to, to get a feel for um, you know, what she's coming into and so that our folks can get a feel for her as well. I sat down with Lori McMath and had a great conversation with her to kind of get her prepped to, you know, what she'd be coming into. And since she's not a part of the, the, our family today, we wanted to make sure that this was a fit for not only her but her family as well. So Gerilyn and her husband Rick, they sat with Randall and Steve had dinner and kind of got to know each other. And then they also came and sat with the leadership team, with the Gillums, the, the Givens, and, and just had a great conversation after all that, we also checked her references. Everything looked great, and we all agreed that this was the right person and that she was truly called to be here. 
Um, I'll tell you, throughout the whole process, we really could feel the Holy Spirit. um, As we met with the candidates, we were just in awe of the the talent that we have here in the church and and the talent that was interested in this position. But it it was very clear that Gerilyn was the one. And and I'm really excited that we'll get to know her and and that she'll get to be a part of this family starting this week. So I'm very honored to be a part of the process, and I'm excited that uh, uh, Gerilyn's going to be joining us starting tomorrow. Yeah, I am. Uh, it's one of those things we obviously pray for. I pray about every single person who comes on staff at Vintage, and and we have prayed for every person who's come on. I will say we've. I don't know what it is. We felt really compelled. I did myself specifically to, to really pray. We probably prayed more for for this position that we're hiring than anybody else we've ever hired before. And I, and I hope I, that can only mean good things. I believe, right? That God has something in store for us with her and and uh, through her. And so I want to encourage you just to be praying for her. Uh, it's a massive transition to leave where she's been. She's been there for over 10 years, and, and this really she's, she pursued us. I really feel like God's calling me to this, and, and, uh, and so we're excited. But do pray for her. Pray for us, that chemistry, that transition. And, and I would just ask that um, you be nice to her, okay? Be nice to her, and, and uh, you meet her, talk to her. Uh, we're excited again, and uh, she, is a, she is a neat, neat person. We feel really honored to have her. Her first day is tomorrow. And her first Sunday will be next Sunday. We will let you know, parents, there will be some sort of meet and greet where you can kind of get to know her and stuff uh, once she gets settled. And that will be good. All right, let's dive in uh, this morning. First, I will say this. I have had a blast, honestly. I have not been in here, and I have missed you all, but I have not really because I had a blast with the kids. Like last week, let me tell you what I did. We had, so we had a group in, this, in the third through fifth grade, and uh, Mallory was leading, and so we broke up in these two groups, and the idea was to build something out of all this, like, stuff that referenced the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so we decided, like, the, these really, like, it was really funny. We had all these girls over here, these grand ideas, and all we had over here, like, we had balls in the room, like tennis balls. What do you think the guys want to do? Let's just play with the balls. Like, let's build something. Okay, right? And so we decided to build this, like, fruit tree out of the, um, you know, the gift wrap, little tube in the middle. And we had, like, rulers. And we had these, like, colored popsicle sticks. We just, I don't know. Like, we just did stuff, wrote things on it, right? All the, all the only thing they really wanted to do was, like, throw the ball around. And so, but we got to the end. We're like, what else can we do? And we had this great idea. We got this paper, um, one of like paper bowls, and we put the, the little um, popsicle sticks on each side, and we put it over the tree, and it became a defense mechanism against the work of the enemy. And it had the popsicle sticks that shot Jesus lasers out of it, right? And I literally took pictures and made all the parents come in, come in. Your kid wants to say what we what we made today, right? And he was like, "Well, we made. We'd say what we made today." And I'm telling the whole story, right? So all that to say, I had a blast working with your kids. And and I want to say this for all of you who have never worked back there, maybe you've worked back there a couple of times. Please do it. I mean, literally, I came out of there, and and and, and I'm not gonna lie. It was like a self-esteem boost for me. I felt so loved, right? No, seriously, those kids, they just think you're awesome. If you're actually nice to them and you actually engage them, they love you. And it's so cool that when you're walking through the hallway, they, like, run up to you and your parents are like, who are you talking to? Stranger danger, right? But no, it's like, no, I was in your kid's room. And, and it was just a blast. So I want to encourage you, if you've never worked back there and you're like, oh, I'm not made for kids, whatever you are. Jesus made you as a kid. You can be a kid. So act like a kid, right? So go back there. Sign 
sign up, serve. It's a lot of fun. It's a blast. And God will use you and build your self-esteem. All right. So let's dive in this morning. Um, the last few weeks, you know, you've had Tom Tanner last week who spoke, pastor at Riverstone, came and shared about this, the idea of encountering God, being a people who can encounter God. Scott's came and Scott, Scott spoke a couple of times. I mean, it was, it was profound, just this idea of faith and the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. It was this beautiful. And then Timothy came and spoke that first week of July, and he said this, God is moving. And he said that that morning, and I went, oh, God is moving. Like, God is active. God is stirring. We were praying this morning before service. Excuse me, this morning I woke up. This, I first woke up, right, the alarm went off, and I, and I just laid there, and I prayed and said, Jesus, what would, you, what would you say to me this morning? And I heard it, listen, I heard it as clear as day, like to the point I kind of went, oh, like in a good way, not, not like a, ooh, Jesus, get away, get bad breath type thing. But it's like, no, God, what do you have to say? And it's like dawning. And I just saw a picture of sun breaking into darkness. You've ever seen the, the, um, uh, uh, the, Re- the Return of the King, I think, one of the ones where Gandalf comes over the mountain, and you see, like, I'm coming from the east, and all of a sudden, like, they're, they're in this, this battle, right? And all of a sudden, this light breaks forth, and all the, the bad guys go, oh, and shriek, because all of a sudden, the light has broken in. Like, that's what I'm talking about. God's speaking this morning, saying, I'm bringing a dawning. And I sat in that word, said, God... That's awesome. Bring it. As I began to just continue to pray into this morning, it was just this idea that God is moving. It's like, I don't know about you, but, but I want to believe in a God that actually moves right now. Like that he's not some, like some distant clockmaker, deist type God off, off in the distance, right? I want to believe in a God who every moment of every day is actively involved in your life and in mine. Like that he cares about what I'm doing, that when I wake up in the morning, he wants to, he wants to have t- pillow time, right? Like he wants to talk and hang out. Like I want to know a God who when I ask him questions, he can't wait to answer them. God is a God who's on the move, right? And so in this idea, we've been talking about this, this picture of living a life with a God on the move. And we've called it the, this move to our real life. Like, have you ever known, like, like, have you ever known someone who's, like, living this, like, different life? Like, I, we're calling it real life. Other people throughout history have called it the abundant life, the life of the spirit in the church, the kingdom life, whatever that looks like, right? Whatever you've named it in the past. But it's this life that's bigger than the life that you're living. That's the easiest way of saying it, isn't it? That, that you're called to live a life bigger and grander than the life you're living. Why? Because God's painting the picture of what your life looks like, and he has more colors than what's on the, the color wheel, right? Like he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's building. He, he sees these things. So we said, people, man, there's this, we want to live the real life. And the picture we, we see throughout Scripture is, a, is of Jesus 100% human being living a life that's different. We see James talking about Elijah saying, Elijah was a man just like you who prayed that it wouldn't rain for three years and it did not. He prayed again that it would and it did rain. And he's making the same point saying, here's the man, Elijah. He was living this real life. He was just a human being. Throughout history, we see people who are living an extraordinary life. 
men and women, like, I just dare you. I dare you to read some stuff about Mother Teresa. Go read her story sometime. Like, I've, I've walked through her homes in India. I've seen the places that she's lived, spent her time. The people that she hung out with and loved the very core of her being, like, it takes something extraordinary to do that, just devote her life to that. There's a movement of God through her. There's an extraordinary life that she represented. And these people, it's like they live with one foot in heaven, connected to Jesus, and, and one foot on the earth, but not defined by it, right? They just, they just live something different, and their life is different. It's profound. It's overwhelming, right? We, we read these stories. I encourage you to read some biographies sometime of these great men and women who have gone before us. It's overwhelming, the things that they did, the sacrifices that they made. We're like, oh, God, they're just, they're just special. No, they were just awake to the real life of Jesus in them. And our lives are to, to be no different. It may be a different context, but I would say for your life, listen, for your life, there are things that Jesus is painting in your real life that he wants you to be awakened to. There's a real life. It's extraordinary. And the problem about that, the things I've been praying into recently is that for so many of us, that, that life is just right under our nose and we're just missing it. Like, it. like for those of you who are married or you have friends, like which one of you in your relationship is the one who just always misplaces things? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like how many times have I said to my wife, hey, babe, um, I can't find my sunglasses. And she's like, they're on your head. All right. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And I do this all the time with my keys, with my wallets, with whatever it may be, my shoes this morning. I'm not wearing the belt that I would normally wear because I've misplaced it and couldn't find it. I, you know what? When I walk home, it's going to be right where I look this morning and just happen to miss it. Isn't that how it always works? You go look for the thing that you're missing. And all of a sudden you find it right where you're like, oh, there it is. How did I miss it? Right. And the same is true, listen, the same is true with this life, this real life that God's called us to. Why? Because if you think about it, Jesus doesn't live very far away for those of us who are believers. Why? Because he lives in our heart. He's literally right under our nose, right? There's this whole dynamic going down. He's here. He's present. He's moving. He has this life. And just somehow we've misplaced it. We've been blind to it. And we've missed what he has for us. And what Jesus says in the moment, it's very clear, is this. I, he would say, I'm dissatisfied for you. I'm dissatisfied for you. Like, not that vengeful, angry, wrathful God that you think about saying, oh, I'm dissatisfied because you're terrible, I hate you, Blah, right? That God we paint a, paint a picture of. No, it's that loving Father who says, dissatisfied for you do you have friends do you have friends that's how you feel about them like they're beautiful they're bright they're smart they're gifted they have an incredible family their situation's great but they believe some lie about themselves and you say oh if they just knew if they just understood if they just had revelation they just had an idea of how, what god actually thinks i mean i see things in them that they can't even see themselves do you have friends like that 
and God, and you would say, I'm dissatisfied for you. It's the same type of thing as what I said Jesus here. When he looks at our life, this extraordinary life, this thing he's calling us to, there's a level of great dissatisfaction in the heart of God. Why? Because he sees who we can be in our real and extraordinary life live for him. I'm dissatisfied for you. C.S. Lewis with a great quote said it this way. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he or she cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. In our lives, we get bound up in things. We're just far too easily pleased with our situation. We grow numb. We grow distant. We grow disconnected. We become satisfied with the life that we're living, the place that we are. Thinking, oh, Jesus and I are fine. Everything's okay. Everything's fine. Fine is a word birthed from hell. (laughs) I mean, literally. Now, I know there are moments of fine, but having a life defined by fine, you find that for me in the scripture and prove me wrong. And don't go, oh, he's being so mean. No, I'm saying, listen, let me put it in like, we talked to the men for a second. Let's put it in football terms. And we're like less than a month, praise God, from football starting back up, right? Hallelujah. Amen. Right? Now, I'm a Georgia fan. I'm a Georgia fan. And if, what, if I, what if we just said every year, yeah, eight wins, that's fine, doing great. Georgia fans, do you ever say eight wins is fine? Ever. Seriously, say it out loud. Do you? Never. We get on the Mark Rick for winning ten games. That's not enough. We've got to win the SEC championship, right? We've got to beat Alabama. We've got to beat Florida. Every year, Tech, well, who cares about them, right? But we've got to beat them, right? Sorry, Ed. He played at Georgia Tech. Now, in these moments, fine is never enough. How much radio airtime, men, is put on with Buck Blue and Kincaid talking about 10 wins not being enough? Fine doesn't cut it. And you don't want it to. But you allow it to engulf us, and we live with the fullness of, of 13 wins and a national championship right under our nose in the kingdom. In Jesus. So God, I begin to pray through this. God, what's going on? I took me to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, very familiar chapter. It's where God tells us what love is all about, right? He describes love as patient, love as kind, description of his, what we can expect in his love towards us. And then he gives the expectation, then this is how you should love me, and then how you should love others, right? Then it goes on, and this kind of gives me an overview here, verses 8 through 12. He then kind of brings that whole, all the thoughts to a conclusion, right? And he comes and he says, all right, in all of this, in all of this, I want you to recognize even the holy things, even the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the things that are great that you're focusing all of your primary energies on, they, what do you say? They will fade away. They will fade away. Just read this. They will all fade away. And the reality of our life is simple. Everything fades away, doesn't it? 
Everything in your life, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, as great as they are, will fade away. But guess what else fades away? All the things that primarily define your emotions and all the things about your life, your worry, your anxiety, your fear and your worry, all the things we devote probably the best of our energies to with our time and thoughts, we, we, we devote our best to it. And those things are not eternal. They fade away. But he comes in verse 13, and here's the focus. He says in verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Let me tell you, I'm sitting here reading this this past four weeks, and I and God every day brought me to the scripture in some degree. I read through this. I've read through this hundreds of times, literally. I've quoted it hundreds of times, and I stopped, and, and, I, and I began to read it, opened up my Bible again to read it. All of a sudden, it's like, and now these three remain. These things are eternal. These things are everlasting. These things are what I am ultimately going to make your life look like when you come to heaven. You're not going to be defined by your worry, anxiety, and fear, and anger, and lack of forgiveness, and unforgiveness, whatever, and offense. I'm going to have your life be defined by faith, hope, and love. Everything else fades. And God began to speak in the moment and said, when you're living your real life, I want you to recognize your real life will be marked in such a way that I will lead you to this place. I will lead you to where your primary focus is not on all this other stuff over here. Your primary energies will only have to be focused on the things that are eternal because they last forever. I don't want your life to be defined by the temporal things, the temporary things. Your life will be marked by the eternal. So when we talk about in good, like, in good church terms the process of sanctification that we're on, Give your life to Jesus. You are now in the process of sanctification. All that means is this. When you give your life to Jesus, he says, all right, I'm not okay with you staying a baby in the spirit. I'm going to put you on a process of maturity and growth that has its end result, Christ likeness, which basically means you will never stop growing for eternity because you can never exhaust the knowledge of God. Meaning when you get to heaven, you'll be a perpetual learning for the rest of your life. And so what I'm going to do here is begin the process of awakening you to the things that are eternal, meaning this. In our lives, we know that we are growing and maturing in our faith when we find ourselves in every situation, every moment of life, having it point towards the eternal things so that in our lives, everything's birthed out of, grounded in, and finds its refuge in the faith in God our hope in his movement, and his undeniable extraordinary love for us. So my question for you is simple. You can make it practical here. When hell breaks loose in your life, what else breaks loose? Faith, hope, and love? Do those define you? Are you, are you grounded in them? Is that, the only, is that what is birthed out of you? If I squeezed you in those moments, what would come out? Faith, hope, and love? Or would worry, anxiety, doubt, offense, fear, all those, would that creep out? And the beautiful thing God said was, hey, this is a sign to you that if faith, hope, and love is not coming out of you when you're squeezed, that's what I'm growing you towards and what your focus should become. 
I was like, great, God, that's really helpful. I know now if faith, hope, and love are not what is not what's being expressed in my words and my actions, then I have then I have not arrived. And that's awesome to know that I'm not stuck living a fine eight win life. Because who wants to have eight wins for the rest of your life? God, I want to live into the extraordinary of every moment of every day. I'm defined by faith in you, by my hope in your movement, and by your love for me. So let's just kind of go through these three. I'm not, I'm not going to like go through a bunch of scripture for you. I'm going to kind of share my heart and kind of pull some things out from scripture. But I want to kind of just give you some of the things that God's been speaking to me over the last few weeks. The first thing, talking about faith. Faith. Now, a people in Scripture, this is one of the concerns that, that all of a sudden was kind of an awakening moment for me. I was thinking about faith, and, and you know what faith is. Faith is that trusting and believing God when everything else seemingly is pushing against me. I trust Him. I have confidence in Him when seemingly the exact opposite is what's presenting itself, right? And so this idea of Scripture, of, of seeing this, this great tension for me, is the story of Jesus coming into His hometown, you remember that story? Jesus has been going everywhere, and everywhere he goes, he's casting out demons like they're afraid of him. That's pretty awesome. He's laying hands on the sick, and they're being healed. Legs are growing. Eyes are being opened. Leprosy is going away. Listen, I've hung out with lepers before in, in India. It's overwhelming. Like, God, like I, I sat in front of a leper in a, in, a, in a leper colony one time, and I was like, I'm like, oh, like his nose was missing. All of his fingers were gone, and so were his toes, and he smelled bad. And I'm like, you touched him and brought healing, and I'm sitting here with complete lack of faith. Get me out of here. And I was convicted. But in the moment, Jesus, everywhere he goes, this happens. Faith, right? And so until he comes into his hometown, it says this in Mark 6, verse 5 and 6, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of of faith. Isn't that scary? He was amazed at their lack of faith. If this happened to Jesus then, don't you think it still happens today? And I would ask, I wonder how many of our lives are marked by a lack of Jesus movement because of our lack of belief, our lack of confidence, our lack of trust, our lack of asking in the moment and our lives are marked by something other than that. More like Jesus really can't do much because of our lack of belief and confidence and trust and faith in him. Like, I don't think it's rocket science to say that our, our church today, not just vintage, but the church as a whole, in America especially, is devoid of this, or is void of this, of this type of faith. Like, we're probably more like Jesus' family and friends in his hometown than anybody else. So we get into this, this picture, right? And God, then what is the, what is the alternate picture? I'm like, a, the alternate a biblical picture, and the picture he gave me was, was Peter. Remember the story of Peter and, and Jesus is walking the water at night? They think he's a ghost, and, and, and Peter calls out because he sees he's, the, he's the, the verbal one. Hey, who is that? It's me, Jesus. What's up, right? And he goes, if it's really you, call me to come out there. So Jesus goes, okay, come on out. All right? Now, just for thoughts, just for giggles, like, do you think that Peter expected to jump out and walk on the water? Or do you think he jumped out expecting to swim to Jesus? 
Because he didn't say, command me to walk out to you. He says, command me to come to you. He's all right, come. And I wonder if in the moment Peter jumped out with his eyes on Jesus, expecting to just to swim to Jesus, and all of a sudden his feet hit the water. The disciples went, oh, my God. Peter goes, yes. Right? I mean, how awesome is that? And Peter, here's the picture. I saw this, saw this picture. Peter's walking. What's he doing? He's looking at Jesus. How do we know that? Because it says, and when the wind and the waves came up, he took his eyes off of Jesus and he began to sink. And Jesus, in his great mercy and grace and love for us, like it happens in all of our lives, when we're going to sink, he reached out his hand and picked him back up. And the picture for us is very simple. Listen, hear this very clearly. I talk about having faith. You can't produce more faith in your life. You can't read yourself to it. You can't worship yourself to it. You can't speak in tongues yourself to it. You can't prophesy yourself to it. You can't do diddly squat to get more faith in your life. Do you know how you get faith? It's real simple. You keep your eyes on Jesus, and he causes it to rise inside of you. Because when I, listen, Smith Wigglesworth, I said it before, he said this about healing. He only raised like seven guys from the dead and saw thousands healed, right? Including his own wife. That's pretty cool. Back in the 40s, 1940s. He said, when I walk into a hospital room, I showed this before. I walk into a hospital room. And my focus is on the sickness and the person who's sick. I become undone by that. And I can't pray. He said, but I choose to walk in, never look at the person, focus my eyes on Jesus. Because when I see him, the impossible always becomes possible. And once I just once I see him, become enamored by him, and he causes faith to arise because I see him, then I begin praying for healing. I don't know about you, but my life is primarily marked by sinking when hell comes my way. I'm really good at having to cry out to Jesus to save me while I'm sinking because of my lack of faith. I'm just being honest with you. Like, I read this, I read this, oh, Jesus, forgive me, but you are dissatisfied for me in this. Thank you that my destiny is right underneath my nose. Father, God has 13 winds of being awesome at faith because of you. If I'll keep my eyes focused on Jesus, all things become possible. Hope, right? A life marked by hope seeing, sees things that are not yet happening, but knowing that they will, Right? The picture from Romans chapter 8, 24 and 25 says this, for in this hope, it's talking about the hope of our adoption, right? The, the redemption of our bodies, of Jesus coming back and taking us home, basically. For in this hope of Jesus returning, we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? That doesn't make any sense. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The picture I have always with hope is the black lab. Right? I'm not licking me to death, but a black lab, right? Sitting at the door. What's a black lab do? A lab, you have one, or a dog that loves you, right? What's the dog do? They know what time you're supposed to get home. And so they sit at your door with hope that you'll return. Biblical hope never thinks it won't happen. 
There's not, there's no such thing as like, oh, well, maybe it won't in biblical hope. Biblical hope is the assurance and the confidence that the master's coming. That's biblical hope. Did you catch that? That I'm sitting here in confidence. You cannot budge me like a lab, right? What do you do with a black lab who's sitting there in a golden lab or whatever, okay, right? Some sort of lab or dog, right? They sit there. They know the master's coming. They're waiting anticipation and expectation. Anticipation and expectation. Hear those two words. Anticipation. I can't wait till he gets home. Can't wait till he moves, right? Expectations, because I know he's going to do it. He's going to show up. The master's coming. Here he comes, right? I got everybody around me. I hate all the people in the house, but I like him, right? I'm waiting for him. I can't wait for him to get home. I'm confident. I know he's coming. Oh, I can't. It's his tail's wagging, right? Oh, it's so good. He's coming soon. She's coming. Oh, this is biblical hope. I don't, I don't rest in this what if that God may never move. I trust and I know with a deep confidence that he's birthed inside of me, that he can't not move. Listen, God is not a savior who saved once. He is a savior who saves every day. Therefore, in our moments of hell, we should hope that he's coming because he is a savior and he has to move because that's who he is. I live in hope. It's underneath our nose, and most of us never live into it. We live dreading tomorrow because we know, we have a phrase, the other shoe is going to drop. That's a thought straight from hell, honestly. Hope. And then it goes to love. I love love. We love, love, love. Third is love, right? It's the one that really empowers all the others. Paul says it's the greatest of all the three. And so this past, uh, these past few weeks I've been praying, God's been doing this neat work of, of honestly kind of awakening me to the reality of his, of his supernatural love for me. That's the only way I can say it. Like I, I sit there and I realize I have nothing, that I am nothing apart from him, right? Like I think about, think about my life. And I'm like, without love, God, everything's, everything's just gray, right? Without you... Touching and being in everything. God, my vacations are gray apart from you being with me, God. Coaching softball, which I love doing for my girls, is gray apart from the love of Jesus being present in the moment, right? That me, my job is gray apart from the love of Jesus undergirding and giving me joy and peace and hope and all of that, right? God, I need your love. God, I, and he's been awakening this reality, this understanding of God's love, that, it, that it's a, this fullness of what it is. And so I've come into this place of saying, God, I recognize the foundation of all that I do. And the joy that I find in everything is birthed out of one place, God. If I'm going to live the real life you called me to live, God, I have to live in the knowledge of your love. But here's the thing I want you to recognize about this. You, you, can't, you can't produce a knowledge of this love in your own strength. Like if we're dependent upon Jesus. Like if anything you've heard me say, it's like, Faith, hope, and love is dependent upon Jesus birthing it inside of us. And so we see that here in Ephesians chapter 3. This should mess you up. I'm about, this should mess you up. If you will listen in a moment. Take a deep breath. And I'm, just, I'm getting close to being done. Okay, I know you've been sitting here for a long time, right? Take a deep breath. Do some jumping jacks. I'm just kidding. Ephesians chapter 3, 17 says this. Paul praying on behalf of the ones, his children, his spiritual children, whom he loves with everything inside of him. He says this, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, basically being Christians, okay, 
You've been rooted. You've been established in love. You've had a salvation moment. You've become alive into Christ. So you've had this moment of salvation. I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Listen, verse 18 may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So just press pause. We'll go to the next part. The next part's going to mess you up too, right? So basically it says this. I've already awakened love inside of you, but there's a knowledge of it that can only be awakened to you by the power of God being released inside of you. Like literally you can't know the fullness of God's love for you unless God's power reveals it. Last week Tom spoke about encounter, being in people who encounter living God, encounter his fullness. All of a sudden we go, oh, scales fall off. We see the things we've never seen before about him. But he's holy, he's perfect, he's righteous, he's holy, he's all loving, right? He's praying, says, I pray that you would have power. Because you don't have power in your own strength to be able to grasp how wide and long and how deep the love of Christ. And it goes on to say, and listen to this, to know this love that's beyond knowing, surpasses knowledge. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So he basically said, listen, I'm just letting you know, I want, I'm praying for something that you'll have a knowledge about that you literally surpasses your ability to have knowledge about. Isn't that crazy? I'm, one, I'm praying for this awakeness encounter that you would become alive to, to God in a way that you have no control over. Because only God can awaken you to the fullness of the love that I'm talking about. And it goes on to say this, that you may be, listen, this is beautiful. I've already spoken about this a second ago, that you may be filled to the measure of, of all the fullness of God. This is going to put it in our language. Basically what he says is, if you're going to live the real life, the full life, the abundant life, the life of the spirit, the kingdom life, only God can awaken it in you. It's grounded in a love that you can't create in your own strength. But he's right under your nose desiring to awaken you to. Like, Paul's praying. Why? Because he's experienced it. He's encountered it. This past several weeks here, I'm not going to lie. Like, I've had these moments where I would say this, the last four weeks have been the richest, most deep time with Jesus I've ever had in my life. I've had some pretty cool experiences. I've, I've prayed for people and seen legs grow. That's pretty crazy, right? I've seen demons. Like, I've laid hands on people and demons come out. That's pretty crazy and cool stuff too, right? That's awesome. But the last four weeks have been the most amazing time I've ever spent with him in my life. I said, listen, this is what I'd do. I have my Bible. This is not, this is just what I would do. I would go downstairs or wherever I was and I'd just put my, I would have my Bible like this and I'd put my head on it. Nothing holy about that. This is what I did. It was comfortable, right? Put my head on the Bible and he would begin speaking. To the point I'm like, oh, please don't go away. <laughs> please don't go. Stay here. Stay here. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me, right? And all he did is he just shared. His undeniable love for me that brought peace. Like, I just rested in his peace. Did I know I was terrible at things? He, he told me, he's like, Steve, you're terrible at these things. But I love you in the midst of them, and I will be strong in your weaknesses. Like, the last four weeks, I've been really strong in every area I'm terrible at. That's awesome, isn't it? Because he's pouring out his love. He's sharing the fullness of his love. I had a knowledge beyond knowledge. I had this overwhelming sense of an encounter of experiencing him that he awakened to me to a knowledge I couldn't have in my own strength, the depth, the width, the height, and the breadth of his love. And it's really interesting because about a week ago, all of a sudden it just went away. Like that ease. 
Like, it literally just went away like that. I'm like, oh, where'd you go? All right? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, did I sin? Oh, my gosh, God, is there sin in my well, Just tell me if there is, if it is, I'll get rid of it. Oh, my gosh, tell me, tell me, tell me, right? There's no sin. Like, All right. But he's doing this work. He's saying, and he said to me, he said, I'm wanting you to hope in me returning to what you had. I'm growing you up and maturing you in your hope. I know you think I'm crazy for all this stuff, so you, you do. I get it. But he's just speaking this word of hope in my life. Hope in me. Hope that what you tasted is what I have for you. And you're pressing in. The thing I want you to recognize about this nature of knowing this fullness, it's this. Only God can do it, but we have a responsibility. And the responsibility is simple. We have to work hard to not give up and to press into him. I mean, Paul says, run the race set before you as if you were one trying to win the race. Like, it was long runs. It was the runs you don't really want to do, right? It's the eternal run. It's never ending. And how do you, listen, how many of you have been great runners for about 50 feet? Like, oh, my gosh, it's too hard. I can't do this, uh, right? And all of a sudden, you just give up. How many of you know that Georgia won't win 13 or 14 games if they don't work their tails off? How many of you want Coach Pruitt to scream at our defensive backs and tell them to cover? Work hard. If you don't know, our defensive backs were awful last year. Work hard. God doesn't bless us because we work hard. God blesses us because we look at him. See, that was the idea. Set your eyes on the prize and never look away. That's what it says in Scripture. Run the race as if one to win the race, setting your eyes on the prize of Jesus that nothing could steal your gaze away. Because when you look at Jesus, knowledge beyond knowledge happens. The power to know the depth, the width, the height, and the breadth of God's love. All of a sudden, you are led to your real life. Hope is birth because you know he's Savior and he will return because when you see him, you believe and you know he's coming. You have faith because you see who God is in his fullness, in his power, in his love. You say, he can't not come back because he loves me too much to stay away. Do we know him that way? Do you want to know that he wants you to know him and he's dissatisfied without you having that knowledge? He is dissatisfied with a fine life. He has something extraordinary that's rich and deep. And it starts simply here. God, I don't know how to get to any of these three. I know I've been wasting my life very well on the temporal things, the worry, the anxiety, the fear, all that kind of crap. But God, I know you're over here and you're good and you're holy and you love me and you are faithful and you are hope giving and God I sit here today and say I have tasted of this I want it all and I'm dissatisfied I'm going to keep my eyes focused on Jesus and when I can't help me do it anyway but I don't ever want to go back to this fine life there's a dawning coming there's a dawning that's happening right now in every single one of us and some of us are missing it because we're fine. And you're fine. Jesus, I'm fine. Me and Jesus are fine. And God's saying, I'm dissatisfied for you. I'm dissatisfied for you because I have the eternal things. 
this morning. I'm going to invite our worship team to come, and we're going to take some time of prayer and, and ministry. And the call is just real simple this morning. It's one, to just to be really, really honest with yourself. Like I would say, how are you in Jesus? And you go, I'm fine. Yeah. Is that where you are? Is there a longing for more because there's a longing in the heart of Jesus? Maybe it's first is simply to cry out for an awakening. God, I don't want to just be fine anymore. I want to be, I want to live this life, God, this extraordinary life, this life marked by the eternal, having faith in you. That every moment of life I see faith, hope, and love being the foundation I stand on. Being the outgrowth of every moment. Have that honest conversation. Then ask yourself, how have I been working hard? Not to earn something, right? But I just, I've been spending time with him. I've been listening. I've been working at listening. I've been working at doing less so I can be with him more. Some of us simply just need to take time this week and turn your TV off. Turn your iPhones off. Your smartphones. Turn off your computers and literally just say, I devote, I'm just going to devote 45 minutes to Jesus today where I'm just going to sit and just be like Mary, who Martha and Martha, you're worried about so many things, only one thing is required. Mary is set at my feet and it won't be taken away from her. It be, be with Jesus. Some of us need to be really intentional about turning our gaze back to him. I'm, I've stepped out of the boat. And life has hit me, and I put my eyes on it. And some of you just go, Jesus, help me to look at you again. I'll let Jesus do his work in you this morning, but you respond as the Lord leads. So let's pray, and then we'll go in. God, I'm asking this morning, Father, just for this true awakening of your spirit. God, we just confess we're really good at being distracted. And I'm asking this morning that you would awaken us to the fullness of of Jesus that you have for us, God, that you would show us that where we are is fine, but it's not your best. And I pray, Father, for an awakening this morning to come after you. Pray this in Jesus' name.